Micah chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down on a steep, down, down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath. Weep not at all. In in Bethlehem, roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zanon do not come out. The lamentation of Beth Ezel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Maroth wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Morasheth Gath. The houses of Akzib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Moresha. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. Pray with me, friends. Lord, as we bow, we need you to accomplish what only you can, which is to change us, grow us, mortify sin in us. Lord, shape us that we might better know you, love you. God, this is hard, some of these older books, but we know that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Make it profitable to us today. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You can be seated. I want you to imagine living in a world where the powerful abuse the powerless. Imagine living in a world where political leaders ignore justice for worldly pleasure and financial gain. Imagine a world where a real danger of violence, perhaps even military violence, threatens the stability of societies. Is that kind of world hard to imagine? 
Well, imagine a world where some who call themselves the people of God abuse and take advantage of other people. Imagine a world where some of those who call themselves the people of God take part in worldly activities, ignoring the word of God for modern comforts. Or imagine a world in which some who call themselves the people of God tell others not to speak the word of God to them if that word makes them uncomfortable. Is such a world hard to imagine? When might such an ugly world exist? Sounds an awful lot like a description of our day today, doesn't it? But I'm actually thinking about the world into which the prophet Micah spoke. It's been said that the job of the prophet or the preacher is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And that's often true. When we open the word of God, we need to have it challenge us where we're guilty of sin. We need to have it bring us hope where we need grace. We need for God to sanctify us shaping our lives to match his holy standard. We need to have the word remind us of the mercy and love of our Lord so that we're not overwhelmed. We need to have the word remind us that God will not allow an evil, godless, abusive world to stand. And that's exactly what God does in the prophecy of Micah. This morning, we begin what I expect will be a seven-week delve into the book of Micah, one chapter per week. And God's word will speak to us to comfort us. And God's word will speak to us to convict us. And God's word will speak to us to remind us that this world will not stand opposed to the Lord forever. So let's get started. This morning we'll find three points in the opening chapter that we just read. And here's how we'll do it every week. We'll begin by seeing what the Lord had to say to the people of Micah's day. And then at the end of the message, we'll wrap up with some ways that the word applies to you and me in the modern day as well. All right? You with me? You awake in the back? Okay. Do I I need them to turn me up over there? Am I too quiet for you people in the back? Point number one, God's judgment is is coming point number one god's judgment is coming look at micah chapter one verse one the word of the lord that came to micah of morasheth in the days of jotham ahaz and hezekiah kings of judah which he saw concerning samaria and jerusalem it's a question for you as we start how important is it that you know what you're reading when you read something. That matters, doesn't it? The other day I received a text message and it said, quote, I got to bonk a scaled monkey with a crowbar. (laughs) I first thought to myself, I wonder if that sentence has ever been spoken or written before in any human language. It's possible. No one's ever said that before. And some people might think that text was nonsense or that I would assume it to be nonsense. But as they say today, if you know, you know. 
I knew the context. Therefore, I had no trouble understanding or interpreting that weird message. I knew that this was a message from my daughter. I wish she were here today. I knew she was playing a game with her nerdy friends. Noah. (laughs) Thus, the weird sentence about bonking a monkey with a crowbar made perfect sense to me because knowing what I was reading mattered. Well, as we open the book of Scripture here in Micah, we got to know what we're reading, guys. Micah is a prophet of God. His name means who is like Yahweh, who is like the Lord. Micah was from a little nowhere town about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. Historically, at this time, the nation of Israel, well, you know the Israelite history, right? The nation had stood unified as a single nation all the way through its first three kings. But around the year 930 B.C., the nation divided into two parts, the northern and southern kingdoms. The northern land was called the kingdom of Israel, sometimes Jacob or Joseph, and it set up Samaria as their capital city. The southern kingdom was called Judah, also sometimes referenced as David, and the capital city of Judah was Jerusalem. And these two kingdoms coexisted, oftentimes at odds, for about two centuries until the northern kingdom was destroyed by the Assyrian Empire in the year 722 B.C. Well, Micah prophesied in the southern kingdom of Judah at the same time as the prophet Isaiah. So I want you to think between the years of 740 and 700 B.C., give or take. And during that time, The northern kingdom of Israel was threatened by, eventually fell to the invading Assyrian army. The southern kingdom, Judah, was nearly ruined by, but rescued from the Assyrians. Micah ministered when the city of Damascus in Syria fell in 732. He ministered when Samaria fell to the Assyrians in 722. And Micah was ministering in Jerusalem around the time that God sent an angel to wipe out 185,000 Assyrian troops that had marched over Judah and besieged Jerusalem in the year 701. He saw all of that. Micah saw the evil acts of King Ahaz, Micah likely influenced the glorious reformation of King Hezekiah. Now that history helps, but something else is more important than what we just read. If you are to know what you're reading, you've got to take seriously the opening words of this book, the word of the Lord that came to Micah. What we're going to read and study is the word that God spoke through Micah, to the people of the southern kingdom during this chaotic season. Because this is the word of the Lord, it's a true word. Because this is the word of the Lord, it teaches us about God. Because it's the word of the Lord, it's profitable for you and me to teach us, reprove us, correct us, and train us in righteousness. Because it's the word of the Lord, it's going to point us to Jesus. Now, let's see what God says to the people back in the 8th century B.C. Verses 2 to 4. 
Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that's in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth and the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down the steep place. The book of Micah can be divided into three main sections. And each of those sections begins with a call for the people to hear or to listen to God. You find a hear everybody, listen up everybody at the beginning of chapter 1, at the beginning of chapter 3, and at the beginning of chapter 6. Every one of those sections is going to indict the people for sinning against God. Every one of those sections is going to point us to the just judgment of God that's coming. And each section has promises in it of hope to come. Verse 2 calls the people to listen up all over the world. God's coming down to be a witness. He's going to speak. He's going to testify against the evils of the world. God is coming out to judge. He's going to leave his holy place. He's going to come to earth and he's going to visit it with his just wrath against sin. Verse 3 says God's going to come down from heaven to tread upon the high places. Now, if you hear the phrase high places, you might just think about a mountain. But in Micah's day, the people of Judah, they would have known what a high place was. In the Old Testament, repeatedly, references made to the high places. Listen to what God says about the high places in Leviticus 26, verse 30. God says this. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies on the dead bodies of your idols and my soul will abhor you. That's more than a mountaintop, ain't it? High places are tied to idolatry. High places are places of pagan worship. The false religions of the Canaanites, they set aside the high places, the mountaintops, for their high places of worship. Those were acts that often included sexual immorality and evil sacrifices. Even when the kings of Israel and sometimes of Judah repented of their idolatry, the Bible often says, but they didn't tear down the high places. Instead, They tried to use those high places as places for the worship of God, even though God said, don't do it. Repeatedly in the books of Kings, you'll read, this king was pretty good, but he didn't get rid of the high places. Or you'll read, this king was pretty bad. He worshiped at the high places. But in Micah's day, King Hezekiah was really solid. He broke down high places in 2 Kings 18 verse 4. So when God says, I'm going to come down, I'm going to walk on, I'm going to tread, I'm going to step on the high places, he's telling us he's going to the very center point of the sin of Israel and Judah. God's going to visit the places that he commanded the people get rid of. And what's going to happen when God comes down? Verse 4 says it's going to be cataclysmic. Mountains are going to melt like wax. Valleys are going to open up. They're going to flow like running water. The world is going to tremble. It's going to crumble. It's going to melt at the presence of the God who made it. And the language here is terrifying. Now, just so you know, God is not actually in Micah's day going to melt the earth. 
But God is going to act in such a way that the world as the people know it, it's going to turn upside down. God's going to move the leaders of the world in such a way that the judgment that he's promised for Israel's sin, it's going to be carried out and it's going to be terrifying. God's judgment is coming. In Micah's day, there's a matter of just a few years. This was probably written right before the judgment of God fell on the northern land of Israel. It's only a couple decades until the judgment of God sweeps over the southern kingdom. But why should come now? Why would that terrible judgment of God fall? And that's going to be point number two for today. We know the judgment's coming, point one. Point number two, God's judgment is just. God's judgment is just. Look at five through seven. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the, and what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. So why would God send this terrifying judgment on the land? Here we see that the judgment of God is the just response of God to the sin of a nation That's supposed to be his people. The people are guilty of sins and transgressions. Samaria, the capital city of Israel. Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah. They are both guilty. The leaders of the people and the people themselves are in trouble. Samaria was a place of evil. God called Jerusalem the high place of of, of Judah. It's a place of idolatry for the southern kingdom. The judgment of God is coming and it's going to be just. Verses 6 and 7, God pronounces his judgment to come on the northern kingdom, on Samaria. Look at what they get. God says he's going to make Samaria a heap. What should have been a metropolis is going to be soil for a vineyard. Samaria was a city built on top of a hill. It was strong. It was strongly fortified. It was difficult to conquer. God was going to bring a foreign army in there and the army would be throwing those big stones down the hill into the valley and they would, under, they would overrun the city. The very foundation stones under the main stones of the city would be exposed. It would be destroyed that badly. What's the word of God saying? Samaria is doomed. And that fall happened in 722 B.C. In verse 7, the carved images of Samaria are going to be destroyed. All the money that the people have collected for the worship of idols is going to succumb to fire. Notice how ugly this scene is. Speaking of the city's riches, God says they were gathered as the fee of a prostitute and those same wages will become the fee of a prostitute. Two thoughts should be in your minds here. One, the pagan worship that was happening in Samaria often involved temple prostitutes. Now the Assyrians are going to take that fee for their own evil acts of worship. But number two, when the people of God 
turned away from the Lord to embrace idols, God often refers to it as spiritual adultery. Israel has behaved like a wayward wife, whoring after the gods of other nations. And now Israel will face the judgment of the Lord in 722 B.C. What is God saying to his people? The judgment of God's coming and the judgment of God is just. The Lord will not allow his people to mock him. The Lord will be faithful to his covenant promises made to Israel. Even if Israel has failed to be faithful to his promises, God will be faithful. Remember as well, Micah is speaking this prophecy in the southern kingdom. He's told them about God's just judgment coming on the north. And the obvious question will be, what will be the outcome for the southern kingdom? Point number three. We know God's judgment is coming. We know God's judgment is just. Point three, God's judgment brings grief. God's judgment brings grief. Look at 8 and 9. Micah speaking here says, For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. Micah says to the folks down south that he's going to respond and it's pretty dramatic. Micah is going to weep. He's going to wail. He's going to cry aloud like an animal in the desert over the loss that is coming. He says, I will go stripped and naked, which means he's going to take off his outer garment. He's going to walk around naked. Maybe, maybe he'll have a loincloth. But he's walking around like this to show his horror over what is to come. But why does Micah grieve so greatly? Israel's wound, the northern kingdom's wound, is incurable. They cannot escape the coming judgment of God. It's too late for them. The door's closed. And the same judgment that God is going to pour out on the northern kingdom, it's going to roll right up to the very gates of Jerusalem before it's checked. The horror to come as people face the judgment of God, breaks Micah's heart. And I think we can safely say Micah shows this grief. He pronounces this prophecy, hoping that the people of Judah might still repent. The door is shut for Samaria, but maybe Jerusalem will listen. Perhaps as Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah when Jonah pronounced their coming destruction, Jerusalem might turn away from sin and be saved from the wrath to come. We know this. The Assyrian army that destroyed Samaria in 722, it will march on the southern kingdom just a couple decades later. They will ransack the land. They will surround Jerusalem before God drives them back to their land in the year 701. And then Micah sings a lament, a song of deep sorrow as he predicts the destruction to come. Listen to 10 through 15 again. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. 
in Bethlehem, roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zanan do not come out. The lamentation of Beth Ezel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Maroth wait anxiously for good because disaster has come from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore, you shall give parting gifts to Morasheth Gath. The houses of Akzib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Moresha. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. It's a very sad song. It's full of little plays on words. References that would have made a lot of sense to the people of Micah's day and very little to us. So I want to show you a couple things that are here. Verse 10. Micah begins with the line, tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. That is almost identical to the words that David sings when he, compose, when he makes, composes a sad song about the death of King Saul and Jonathan at the hands of the Philistines. You can look at 2 Samuel one twenty for that. Micah is hinting to us that such a calamity is coming. It will be so harsh. It'll be so ugly that it will remind you as the death of King Saul on Mount Gilboa, which if you lived in Judah, you'd have known what that was, and that would have shaken you. And Micah mentions several towns. Some of them we know where they are today. Some of them we don't. But it looks like Micah is just naming the towns that were all about nine miles from where he grew up. And Micah calls on those people to lament and not to enjoy the story of the judgment to come in the fall of Jerusalem, or the, or the, the threatening of Jerusalem, the fall of Samaria, the threatening of Jerusalem. Again, let's look at some of the plays on words behind the meaning of the town names, and this is kind of cool when you see it. Look at verse 10. Beth Afra, that, ha- that town name literally means house of dust. Micah calls the people to roll in the dust as a show of sorrow. Verse 11 Shafir means beauty town, but the inhabitants are going to be led away naked and ashamed. Zanan, it means a town that goes forth. They're not supposed to go forth. They're going to cower and hide. And Beth Ezel, which means to take away, they're going to be annexed, taken away by their conquerors. Verse 12, Maroth means bitter. Think of the name Mara in the book of Ruth, by the way. They hope for something good, something sweet, but they're not going to get it. Instead, they're going to see the enemy army approaching Jerusalem. The town of Lachish, the name Lachish sounds like the Hebrew word that calls people to mount up on their horses. They're called to run to their steeds and get away. That town was the place where idolatry took hold in the southern kingdom. They spread sin. They spread evil abroad. They spread destruction for themselves and their neighbors Bruce Waltke says they were like Hollywood in our day. In verse 14, we find Morasheth Gath mentioned. Morasheth might be akin to the word for possessor or the word betrothed. Judah thinks that they're going to gain a dowry from that city, but in fact, they will pay. Akzib means deceit. They're going to be a costly deceit to Judah. They're not going to help stem the onslaught of the Assyrians. Verse 15, Moresha sounds like conquer in Hebrew. They're going to have a conqueror. 
Then at the end of verse 15, the glory of Israel comes to Adullam. If you know the word Adullam, you know that that's the place where David hid in a cave when he and his men were running away from King Saul in 1 Samuel 22. God is telling Judah, your best men are going to run and hide when the Assyrians come to town. Then you see the final instruction in the lament, verse 16. Make yourselves bald, cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. In those days to shave your head was to show a sign of deep mourning, deep sorrow. Michael tells the folks in Jerusalem, your very children are going to be taken captive. When Sennacherib strode into Judah to threaten Jerusalem in 701, he says he took 200,000 people captive from the land outside of Jerusalem as he invaded the land. Only the city was spared. Later, Jerusalem eventually would fall to Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian in 606 B.C., The first thing that happened was the taking away of the children of nobles. It ended with the utter destruction of the city and the destruction of the temple in 586. So the lament here, it's actually poetically beautiful. It's brilliant. It's clever and super sorrowful. Micah knows the judgment of God is on its way. The judgment of God is just. The judgment of God is though it's good, though it's right, is going to bring great grief, great sorrow when you see how horrible it is to fall under the wrath of God. Now, after hearing all this, you might think to yourself, whoa, that's a powerful and frightening message for the people living in Jerusalem 2,700 years ago. But what does it have to do with you and me? Let's go back. And let's consider the the chapter and its points in the light of our modern lives. And let's apply it before we wrap up today. Back in verse 1, we took a moment to remember that we are hearing the word of Almighty God. That was true then. It's true now. Dear, dear friends, never forget That if you have access to the Holy Bible, you have access to the word of Almighty God. You got to hear it. You got to treasure it. You got to believe it. You got to obey it. God has revealed to us himself and his ways in his word. So let me ask you, are you treasuring God's word? Are you grateful Do you get into the word on a regular basis? What comes first in your day? God's word or your wordle? What comes first? God's book? Facebook. What comes first for you? Time with the mediator between God and man or time on social media gossiping about man? That wasn't nice at all, was it? If you read in the evenings, it's okay. I'm not judging you. But let's let the reminder that we have the word of God 
Call us to treasure God's word. Second, verses two to four, we saw the reminder that the judgment of God is coming. That was true as Micah waited for the Assyrians to come. But friends, it's true today. Jesus Christ has promised us that someday he will return. And when Jesus returns, those who are not under the grace of God will face greater terror than did the people of the 8th century BC. Listen to Revelation 6, 12 to 17, describing that day. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth And the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Jesus will come back. The world that has opposed God and his ways, will face the terror of God's judgment. Do not doubt that. Do not ignore it. Take it to heart. Let it lead you to repentance before it's too late. Verses 5 to 7, we saw that the judgment of God is just. The people made in the image of God were worshiping idols and chasing after money instead of loving the Lord and following his ways. And is that not still true today? Many people in our world worship politics, money, comfort, entertainment, sex, substances, food, evil spirits, anything other than worshiping the Lord our God. But dear friends, when Jesus returns... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every person, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, every person has an obligation to come to Jesus in surrender. And if they will not come to Jesus in surrender before they die or before the day Jesus comes back, they will face God's perfect, just, holy wrath. And that holy wrath, just and perfect, it has to be just and perfect because God is just and perfect. Then verses 8 to 16, Micah weeps. He laments. He he sorrows over the judgment to come. He knows the judgment's right, but it breaks his heart. Micah goes to the extreme wailing, walking around naked to get the attention of his nation, hoping that he might turn them from sin before the judgment of God falls. Now, I do not recommend that you try Micah's method. But I would ask you this, in all honesty, think with me here. 
When's the last time you went to even a little discomfort, Christian, to warn somebody about their sin? When's the last time you went to even an ounce of discomfort to warn somebody about the wrath of God? When's the last time you went to even an ounce of discomfort or personal fear to invite someone to embrace the grace of Jesus? Do you sorrow over the lost? Do you pray? Do you share the gospel? If not, maybe today is a good day for you right here where you sit because you know a lost person. You know somebody who needs Jesus. Why not pick one person you know today and start praying for them and ask God, God, give me an opportunity to tell them something about Jesus. And hear this one last thing. For Israel, the northern kingdom, when Micah spoke these words, it was too late. They were not going to return to God. They were going to face his judgment. But if you hear my words right now, it is not too late for you. If you would like the mercy of God instead of the judgment of God, the mercy of God can be yours. How, you ask? You guys know the answer, don't you? It's Jesus. Jesus Christ came to earth to die to pay for the sins of everybody he would ever forgive. And God says that everybody who will turn from their sins, who'll stop living against God and entrust their very soul to Jesus, everybody who trusts in Jesus will be saved. And so I urge you, before it's too late, believe in Jesus. Cry out to Jesus in prayer, asking Jesus to save your soul. Commit your life to follow Jesus from today forward. It's not too late to avoid the wrath to come. It's not too late to find life, joy, and hope in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bow, and we've heard words of just judgment to come. And because of the grace of Jesus, those words have also included for us words of a call to life, to hope, to grace in Jesus. Please, God, bring us to your grace. Bring us to your mercy. And for those who have your mercy, please, God, help us to remember who you are. Remember your judgment to come. Remember its justice. Remember its goodness. Remember its perfection, but yet still to lament and sorrow over the lostness of our world and help us to take the good news of Jesus to others that they might be saved. God, have mercy and we will give you all the praise for only you can save a soul. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.